Well, this was a much more somber entrance to Sports Tonight with Smith than I was hoping for this week. <laughs> Thank you, New York Yankees, for making my life miserable and making millions of other people miserable last week. Well, despite the misery, it's great to have you all joining me here on this Wednesday evening. 7 o'clock here on the East Coast. It's about 64 degrees. We were dealing with some really bad weather this week. The sun popped its head out for, oh, 30 minutes or so, and then it immediately went back to being cloudy. But it's still all sunny here in the OWWR radio station tonight. Again, thank you all for joining us. Be sure to follow OWWR on Facebook at OWWR and on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at OWWRNY. Well, we've got a jam-packed show for you guys tonight, just as we always do, right? And it's our third time through, so we're feeling a little bit more comfortable. I'm more acclimated with all the technology. There is some technology that's giving me some headaches today, so we're going to try to fight through that. But we've got some good stuff in store for you today. I'm going to have one of my good friends from the baseball industry and one of my closest confidants, someone that I trust is right 99% of the time, R.J. Anderson from CBS Sports will be joining us at top of the 8 o'clock hour. You will not want to miss that. We're going to have a lot of Aaron Judge talk. We're going to do some World Series previews with him. I was going to talk about the Yankees offseason, what needs to happen. But before we get into what they need to do this offseason, let's rewind and go over exactly what transpired over the last week in Houston and in the Bronx. And strap yourself in because it's not pretty. In essence, this was not close. The ALCS between the Astros and Yankees was a complete joke in every sense of the word if you're a Yankees fan. Through three games, the first three games of the ALCS, this was the Yankees slash line as a team. Are you ready for this? I don't think you're ready for this. Strap yourself in. 128 batting average. 212 on base percentage. 223 slugging percentage. 128. 212. And 223. Those are the three numbers you need to know. Do I need to say anything more? Right, I think most of our audience is well-educated on what all those numbers are. Oh, and by the way, in those first three games, they had 41 strikeouts. They almost averaged 15 strikeouts a game in the first three games. That's difficult to accomplish. So you know what? For all those people saying the Yankees didn't accomplish a dang thing in those first three games, you're wrong. They almost accomplished 15 strikeouts a game. There's your accomplishment. Aaron Judge, you ready for this slash line? How about 063? The man hit 063. Got on base 12% of the time. And his slugging percentage was the same as his batting average. 
And to put that into perspective, slugging percentage, you get more points if you hit doubles, even more if you hit triples, and the most if you hit a home run. So if your batting average and slugging percentage are the same, it means that all of his hits were singles. So any damage he did, any way he increased his batting average was all done via singles. He didn't have a single extra base hit in the ALCS. Not one. Josh Donaldson. If you can believe it, Josh Donaldson was better than Aaron Judge. It's, it just it boggles the mind. Aaron Judge hit 063. Josh Donaldson one-upped him. 077. Ho, 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 ho. We're doing better. Josh Donaldson better than Aaron Judge. Newsflash, right? 077. Got on base 25% of the time, which I think puts him in the top three or four for the Yankees in this entire series. Slugging percentage of 154. I mean, what are we doing here, right? Like, I think everyone knew, as I alluded to on the first preview I did last week of this series, I alluded to the fact that the Astros were the better team. Objectively speaking, you could not go into the series and say that the Yankees were the favorite or that they were playing better baseball because that's just not true. But to be so manhandled to the point where your whole season is reliant on Aaron Judge in the bottom of the ninth with two outs from being swept in the playoffs against the team that has eliminated you most postseasons recently? No. (laughs) No. That's not what we signed up for as Yankees fans. Now listen. A 99-win season in the most competitive division in baseball in which you won the division 99% of the time is a success. But bear in mind, they did not have home field advantage in this series. Why? Because they ceded it to the Astros halfway through the season. They had home field advantage, and they lost it. Now, injuries played a part. I'm not going to say they didn't, right? Matt Carpenter going down the broken foot derailed this team. But again, it should not be where Matt Carpenter makes or breaks your offense. Your offense is broken if you're reliant on Matt Carpenter not breaking his foot, right? Think about that. The Yankees told you how top-heavy they were throughout their roster based on how Aaron Boone used the lineup and based on how he used the bullpen. Okay, go through each of the games from this series and look at how Loisaga, Peralta, and Clay Holmes were used throughout this series. They could not rely on anyone else. And when they were forced to rely on someone else, that being, oh, I don't know, uh, Lou Trevino in the fifth inning of game three, subbing out for Garrett Cole, which, by the way, I would have kept Garrett Cole in there. But when you're putting Lou Trevino in because the previous two games you were so reliant on each of those three guys, and they're not really suited to 
pitch three out of four days, you have a problem. Right? That, to me, signifies that there is no confidence in the rest of the bullpen. That's a problem. And I look, I understand they lost Scott Efres. They lost Ron Marinaccio. A Rolls Chapman went Major League Baseball's equivalent of Antonio Brown without the on-field exodus. I mean, that's essentially what it was, right? Chapman gave up on the team. He just did it when they weren't playing a game. But in, in every regard was the Antonio Brown corollary in baseball. So you're missing those three guys. And, oh, by the way, Zach Britton, who had just come back, yeah, his shoulder's barking again. He's out as well. Look, I get it. But at the same time, every team deals with injuries. The Astros have dealt with injuries all year long. Now, they happen to be particularly healthy come the playoffs, so they're fortunate in that regard. But at the same time, you're talking about one extra guy that you truly rely on in Raw Marinaccio. So that's four guys. Okay, that's four guys in your bullpen. But you know what? In the playoffs, that's still not enough. Right? Especially with the rest of the rotation outside of Garrett Cole. You cannot expect those guys to go six innings each time out. They're very good for five innings. And if you get anything more, it's a bonus. But what exactly was the plan here if they moved on in this series? Right? Remember back in 2017 when Joe Girardi used Tommy Canely, I think it was like every game of the 2017 ALCS against the Astros. And when game seven came around and they needed him to perform, he was just out of it. He had given it all in all of his prior outings and he just had nothing. I I mean, that's honestly what it felt like. And this was through four games where you had your, your three top guys and in game four, they just had nothing. So, on top of the offense doing nothing, on top of it being relying on two or three guys being hot, one of them not being Aaron Judge, your bullpen was also relying on three guys. That's not going to cut it. Okay, The Astros are the best of both worlds. What do I mean by that? The Yankees hit home runs, but they strike out. The Guardians, who the Yankees beat ALDS, did not strike out. The Astros hit home runs and don't strike out. You need more guys like Holmes, Peralta, Loizaga, guys who are ground ball, sinker baller types that will alleviate the hard contact that Houston generates as a lineup, and they did not have that. Garrett Cole is not a good matchup for the Astros. Luis Severino, as we saw, not a good matchup for the Astros. Nestor Cortez, not a good matchup for the Astros because none of them are ground ballers. And you saw the results. They each gave up critical home runs in each of their outings. So for the Yankees who are so reliant 
on a big payroll. And a lot of that payroll did not contribute whatsoever to this ALCS against the Astros. And it's it's a shame. It's a complete shame. And and here's the here's the other part. I mean, are we sure the Yankees are actually better than the Phillies? Like I, I think everyone just kind of assumed that the Yankees were better than the Phillies because they got off to that really hot start. The Phillies weren't that good early on. They fired Joe Girardi. But, you know, if you're matching up these teams side-by-side side right now, I think you would take the Phillies. And that's a major indictment on this team. Now, in the next segment, segment I'm going to talk about what I think the Yankees should do in the offseason. I got a lot of very interesting feedback from people on Facebook and Twitter about this. If you want to follow me on Twitter for all my freezing cold takes, feel free to do so, at Smith Brickner. But in the next segment, I'm going to go through some of the things I think the Yankees need to do. And, and some of this has already started to materialize against what I want, and we'll go through that. But if you're a Yankees fan and you want to vent, I'm all ears because I think I've done enough venting, and I think I can now serve someone else by hearing them out. So if you want to call in and you want to vent about the Yankees, please be my guest. 516-876-4964. 516-876-4964. So please, feel free to call in because I want to talk to you guys about the Yankees. I want to get a consensus. I know what Twitter thinks, and Twitter can sometimes be a little chaotic and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but I want to hear what you guys have to say. Because I know some of my friends are listening. I know some other people that have said they'll they'll tune in. And I know a lot of you guys are Yankees fans. So 516-876-4964 is the number to call. We'll take a quick break. But right after that, we're going to go into what I think the Yankees should do in the, post, in the off season. We'll talk also a little bit. Later on the show about the Jets and Giants, they both won their games on Sunday in incredible fashion, I think, in both regards. We'll talk about the Knicks and Nets. Hey, we got the NBA season. Oh, Ben Simmons, right? We'll talk about the, next, the, the Knicks and the Nets. We'll do all that. We'll do all that and more here on Sports Tonight with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio.
some rap here and there, don't get me wrong, but I'm definitely more of a balance between alternative, some rap. I actually like a little bit of Spanish music. Um, honestly, I'm kind of a wide-ranging guy when it comes to music. I, I don't like country music. Like I know there's some people in the Northeast that have no affiliation to the South whatsoever, or anything to do with people down there, but they love country music. God bless. I'm not one of them. I have every reason to be a country music fan. My mom is from Mississippi. Her whole family is down there in Mississippi, and I don't think a single person in the family likes country music. Count me in there. But you're listening to Sports Tonight with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. We'll get through all these things going on, (laughs) uh, technically, that aren't going in our favor today, but... 516-876-4964 is the number to call again. That's 516-876-4964. So I alluded to this before we took our little break there, but I think there's some very clear things that need to go on in the Bronx this offseason in order for it to be considered a success. And newsflash, one of those things already is going against us in that regard. What is that one thing I'm talking about? Well, earlier today it was reported per the AP that manager partner of the New York Yankees, Hal Steinbrenner, came out and said that Aaron Boone will return as the New York Yankees manager next season. And I can't help but feel let down and bamboozled and tricked by the New York Yankees. I mean, was it not obvious that Aaron Boone was making mistake after mistake after mistake, whether it's pinch runners, pinch hitters, bullpen usage? Did we not see enough from Aaron Boone to suggest that, hmm, maybe he's not that good of a manager? Look, I'll eat crow. I, I will eat crow on 
Aaron Boone. I thought he would be a good manager because from what I had gathered from people within the industry prior to his hiring by the Yankees is that he was an analytical mind that also used common sense. And that is the best combination as far as I'm concerned when it comes to managing. Aaron Boone has not shown that whatsoever. Like, it seems like common sense with Aaron Boone comes at a premium. That's a, that's a problem. That, that's a serious problem. So I'm, I'm troubled that the Yankees have decided to continue with Aaron Boone. And a little bit of a newsflash, but that was going to be the very first thing I talk about that the Yankees should do this offseason. So that was number one. Fire Boone. <laughs> We're already off to a great start, right? The second thing, and I, I guess this is a little bit of a hot take for Yankees universe out there. And Yankees universe, if you're listening, please call in and let me know if I'm crazy. 516-876-4964. I actually want the Yankees to retain Brian Cashman. Hear me out. Brian Cashman is often underappreciated because despite the philosophical errors he has in constructing rosters, I have to give him credit for one thing. He showed a willingness to accept the fact that he was wrong about Joey Gallo. He was willing to embrace that the team needed to be more agile and more defensive-oriented compared to previous years. That's why he traded away Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. And, hey, that worked out. It's why I thought the process of trading for Donaldson and IKF was correct. I did not expect the Yankees to actually roll out IKF as their shortstop, which, newsflash, I was right about IKF, right? He cannot be your shortstop moving forward. But the process of getting Donaldson, who was coming off a good year with the Twins, and he was still an excellent defensive third baseman, I thought the process of getting to where they got with that decision was sound. So Cashman has shown an evolution in the types of players that he acquires, and I don't think that's brought up enough. It's just... Well, he's been at the helm for 20-plus years, and he needs to be fired. We need a change of guard. I would normally agree, but you're talking about a executive that has shifted his priorities in a direction I think that's positive for the team. And on top of that, Cashman has been excellent at making excellent trades. Right? He's excellent at making excellent trades. The contracts are a little suspect, but you know what? I think there is something to the idea of it being very difficult to operate as the Yankees because you're expected to hit on everything. And, and the truth is that's not the case. That never happens. Andrew Friedman is consensus, the best executive in baseball with the Dodgers. I could count at least seven or eight mistakes he's made in his eight years with the Dodgers. 
very big ones, ones that had lots of financial implications. So I, I just want to throw that out there about Cashman. So first two priorities, buyer boom, already X, retain Cashman. It sounds like that's going to happen. So in terms of personnel decisions, this is what I brought up on Facebook and Twitter, and I got a lot of conversation, both good and bad, about this. I'm going to go through these rapid fire. I'm going to let it sink in, and I'll talk about it. I'll delve into each point afterwards, okay? Number one, re-sign judge. Pretty obvious. Don't need to explain that. Resign Benintendi. Resign Matt Carpenter. That one I know is going to be a conversation piece. And then in terms of free agent signings, there's one that absolutely needs to happen, and there's another one that could happen if something else doesn't happen. The one that absolutely should happen is the Yankees should sign Carlos Correa. This is not complicated. Okay, I think sometimes in baseball, we overcomplicate things. Guys, Carlos Correa, whether you want to admit it or not, is one of the top three or four shortstops in baseball. He's an excellent offensive contributor who is a contributor as if he's a corner outfielder, which is where you, you emphasize offense in a corner outfield spot. So he's got the offensive production of a corner outfielder, except he plays incredible defensive shortstop. Like, this is a no-brainer. He's 28 years old. It's an absolute no-brainer. And the other thing on top of that is Correa has the skill set to easily transition to third base if and when that time comes later in his career. Like He's got an incredible arm. His instincts are superior. Hand-eye coordination, top of the line. And he's got fantastic footwork. All important attributes to being a good third baseman. So you're talking about a guy that can have longevity as well, and he's 28. This is not difficult. So that's the one easy signing. The other one that... Depends on something else, but my idea was that the Yankees should trade Glaber and some prospects to the Miami Marlins for Pablo Lopez. Now, this was something that was discussed by the Yankees and Marlins at the deadline. It was relatively close to happening from what I heard, and I think there's mutual interest between the Yankees and Marlins on revisiting this deal. If the Yankees are able to do that, I think it's a no-brainer. And here's why I'm willing to trade Glaber, right? If you sign Correa, you've got shortstop locked up. Then you think about the guys that are already in the organization. LeMay, Hugh at second base, is a no-brainer. But they've also got a few prospects. We saw a couple of them in the postseason. In Oswald Peraza, Oswaldo Cabrera. I like Peraza way more than Cabrera. And they've also got Anthony Volpe, who I scouted, and I'm doing the Yankees' top prospect list for baseball prospectus this year. Volpe will be my number one overall prospect in the system. 
and he'll very likely be a top five prospect in all of baseball. So, I don't think it's really a question that the Yankees have a bunch of useful infielders besides Glaber. So, if they decide to flip Glaber for Pablo Lopez, you've got your additional pitcher, and if you sign Correa, you've got an you've got an infield that could consist of Volpe, Correa, Peraza, and Cabrera, and let's say DJ Lemayhew, right? So, I would. Flip Glaber for Pablo Lopez, or if you want to keep Glaber, I would sign Carlos Rodon. I would sign Carlos Rodon. So that's just a few of the things that I would do if I'm the Yankees. I've got a few others that we can talk about in the next segment, and then we'll talk a little bit of Jets and Giants in the segment after that. But I want to hear what you guys have to say. 516-876-4964 is the number to call. Again, that's 516-876-4964. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back to what are some other things I think the Yankees should do in the offseason. And then we'll do some Jets and Giants talk before we talk to RJ Anderson from CBS Sports at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Tonight with Smith. And if we had a scoreboard of technology versus Smith tonight, I think it would be technology 99 and Smith 
too. It's been, it's been that kind of night for the technology. The technology is taking the L. Just like the Yankees. Sorry. I know. I, I, listen, I'm still sour over that game. I'm still sour over the series. I'm disgusted. It is what it is. But before we took the break, I was going through some of the things that I wanted to do for the Yankees. If I was house signed better. Tane Cashman, fire Boone, re-sign Judge, re-sign Benintendi, re-sign Carpenter, sign Carlos Correa, do one of, trade Carlos Correa and prospects for Pablo Lopez, or sign Carlos Rodon. A couple of other things I would do. I'm flipping Isaiah Conor-Falefa. Get him out. I want him out. And I sound like an angry WFAN caller. I promise I'm not. I've had time to think about this. IKF is not going to do you a dang thing on this team because he's not going to be a starter, and I'd rather have Oswaldo Cabrera as my utility man. So IKF can get out of here, and we can flip him for reliever prospects because there's going to be a team out there, you know there's going to be at least one, that looks at IKF's 2021 season with the Rangers and thinks to themselves, well, he was a gold glover. He hits for average, supposedly. There's going to be a team out there that, that bites on IKF. Watch. Just watch. So you could get some prospects or a reliever for IKF. I would do that 10 times out of 10. No, actually 11 times out of 10. Next thing I would do is I would aggressively dump Donaldson and or Hicks's money. It's not even that the Yankees can't afford those guys. They're the New York Yankees. They can afford anyone. But it's more of a lineup and roster construction where they're going to feel this obligation to keep Donaldson and Hicks on the roster so long as they're healthy. And I don't think that's the best utilization of roster space. So if you can find someone that wants to take a one-year gamble on Josh Donaldson for what will be a little bit more than what the qualifying offer is, please go ahead and do that. If you have to include a prospect to do it, I would do it. Same thing for Aaron Hicks. Listen, I know he's only making $10 million a year, but it's through 2025. He's toast. He's dust, guys. I, I was an Aaron Hicks connoisseur. For the longest time, but you know what? You have to accept the fact when it's not working out, and it's not working out for Aaron Hicks. The contract basically went under the moment he signed it. Never should have happened. So I would aggressively dump one of Donaldson and or Hicks, Donaldson being the priority because he's making more money. Next thing I would do, and I think this is also unpopular, but I think it's the right decision. Anthony Rizzo has a player option for 2023. He's going to opt out. I have very little doubt in my mind about that. I think the Yankees should qualify all for him, knowing that he's going to turn that down and let him walk. You're going to get a draft pick for it. And listen, if you sign Correa, you're going to be able to move some players around in that infield. 
I think one of the biggest indictments on the Yankees from a roster construction standpoint in past years is they have not allowed young players outside of Glaber and Judge to really get their fair chance. I guess you could throw Gary Sanchez in there, but this team has been very veteran dependent for a long time. And I think it's time that we see what we have in Volpe and Oswald Peraza. So if you've got an infield of Volpe and Correa, Peraza or Cabrera at second base, and you've got LeMahieu at first base, who's very good there, that's a really good defensive infield, and it's got a lot of offensive upside. I know you're relying on two young guys there, but so did the Astros. And Anthony Volpe, for all intents and purposes, is a far better prospect than Jeremy Pena was from an offensive perspective. So if you flip if you flip IKF, Glaber, and Rizzo, you're still going to be fine. And oh, by the way, if you flip Glaber, you're going to get one of, I think, the most underrated pitchers in baseball in Pablo Lopez. So next year, you'd have a rotation under my idea of Garrett Cole, Pablo Lopez, Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez, and, I don't know, Domingo Herman. right? You can find a fifth starter relatively easily out there in the free agent market these days. So if they want to sign someone for that number five spot, they certainly can do that. But Domingo Herman showed enough for me to feel relatively confident in him as a number five starter. You've got Clark Schmidt, who can also start. I don't have any questions about that. But all of those moves that I talked about, re-signing Judge, Benintendi, Carpenter, signing Correa, trading for Lopez, dumping Donaldson, not re-signing Rizzo, that gets you to a payroll of about $265 million. It's about $18, $19 million more than what the Yankees spent last year. Rather, this year. This year, 2022. The year of our Lord, 2022. That, to me, is very reasonable. And, and that's kind of thinking of it as a reasonable, rational Yankees fan, which I know there aren't many of you. But that, to me, is a very realistic offseason that also gets you Carlos Correa and Pablo Lopez. That, to me, is a really good offseason. And you didn't have to trade away your whole farm system to get someone else. Clayford Torres is going to have value to other teams. I know that Yankees fans are not fond of him because he's made some confounding plays in the field. And he's got incredibly hot and cold streaks. I get all of that. But he's still, all told, a pretty good, valuable player. And a team like the Marlins that's offensive deficient is going to look at that and find that very attractive. They have plenty of pitching talent, both in the majors and in the minors. So if you give them Glaber and prospects, which was discussed at the deadline, this is not even me going out on a limb trying to guess who they can get. There are conversations that were had between those two teams for those two players and some other prospects. 
you're looking at a team that's far more complete, deeper, better defensively, doesn't strike out as much, and is giving young players an opportunity, right? One of the reasons we were so excited about the Yankees after 2017 was because they were called the Baby Bombers. They had all those young guys come up, Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge, right? It was mostly those two guys. You also had Greg Bird in there. Remember him? Greg Bird was a part of that team. So by giving your young players an opportunity to thrive, You're giving your chance, you're giving your team a chance to succeed, not just next year, but for years down the line. Now listen, the Yankees could very easily spend $290 million next year. That's absolutely a thing they can do because they're the New York Yankees. The Mets almost got to $300 million. There's no reason the Yankees can't get to that $290 million threshold. So if they want it, in my plan here was to get to $265 million. If you get to $290 million, you're all of a sudden opening up the door for Carlos Rodon to come in. So then you've got a rotation of Cole, Rodon, Lopez, Cortez, and Severino. Oh, baby. Now we're in business. Now we're in business. This is absolutely a thing that can happen, folks. So I, I get it's seemingly all doom and gloom for the Yankees. It seems like Aaron Judge doesn't want to be back with the Yankees. But you know what? Money talks. Money talks, and if you give Aaron Judge $40 million a year for five years, I cannot see a scenario where he turns that down. I would focus on a high average annual value contract for Aaron Judge in place of extra years, right? So you give him more money per year, but you give him less committed years. Basically, the polar opposite of what they did with Aaron Hicks is what I would do. But enough of what I want to do. I want to hear what you guys have to say to all those moves. 516-876-4964 is the number to call. Please call in. Please. I want to hear what the Yankees fans out there have to say because I know there's a lot of thoughts. I know that there's a lot of division as to what we should do. I know there's already a lot of takes on Aaron Judge coming back. There's there's so many things for this offseason. It, it feels like a crossroads for this team because I know I brought up my ideas, but it feels like this offseason could go a lot of different ways for the Yankees, which is Exciting and unsettling all in one. So I want to hear what my Yankees brethren and sisters have to say about what they want the Yankees to do this offseason. 516-876-4964. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at OWWR and on Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram at OWWRNY. Be sure to log into the TuneIn app and search up OWWRNY to get all of your content from all of my fellow hosts 
You know, it's incredible. We've got a, such a wide variety of shows on OWWR Web Radio. I was just listening to some of the shows that happened recently. We've got a lot of DJs that play a lot of music from a variety of genres and, and generations, right? And at the same time, we've got a lot of other interview type of radio shows. We've got news shows. We've got other sports talk shows. Right? One of my good friends, Kenny, is one of the co-hosts. And, and Nick Bailey, they have a really good sports talk show every Sunday morning. It's, it's actually incredible, some of the content that my colleagues here at OWWR put out there. So don't just listen to OWWR for me, as, as flattering as that is, but also listen to all of the other shows out there because I can guarantee you, you're going to enjoy what you listen to. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit of Jets and Giants, so a little bit more of a happy note compared to our sad, depressing, insufferable Yankees. But 516-876-4964, call in. Let's talk some shop. Getting started here on OWWR Web Radio. Sports Night with Smith here. 748 on the East Coast. 64 degrees. You know, it's, it's a little bit warm cons- considering some of the weather that we've had recently. It's 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 higher than normal, right? We had weather in the 40s. I left the studio last week and was freezing. And I'm not even exaggerating that. I was actually shivering on my way to the car. That's the first time that's happened this year, and I don't like it. I want to be a guy that enjoys, let's call it 75 to 80 degree weather each day of the year. If I, if I could have 75 to 80 degree weather throughout the whole year, I would be the happiest man on the face of the earth. And listen, I've got a lot of reason to be very happy. All of you guys listening, I really appreciate that. It makes me so happy to know that people are out there and actually care about what I think on sports, but definitely wouldn't mind the 75 to 80 degree weather. 516-876-4964. Come call me. Roast me about my Yankees takes. You can roast me about my Giants and Jets takes, which we'll talk about right now. 
Don't call during 8 o'clock, though, because my good friend R.J. Anderson from CBS Sports is going to be on, and it's going to be a treat. R.J. is simply one of the most informed people I know in all of baseball. He's as connected as anyone out there, and he's a good friend of mine. So you will not want to miss that segment at the top of the next hour, but real quick, we'll do some Jets and Giants, and then we'll also talk some more Jets and Giants after our call with R.J., I do want to talk about these two teams that are suddenly in the top 10 of everyone's NFL power rankings. Raise your hand if you saw that one happening, right? I did not see that happening. I know for a fact my Jets and Giants friends did not see that happening. But we are here. And to start out with the Giants, they are 6-1. and 6-1. and one. They have the most fourth-quarter comebacks of any team in the NFL. And I think a lot of it can be attributed to the fact that Brian Dable empowers his players to utilize their strengths in ways that very few coaches can. What do I mean by that? A perfect example of this is Wandale Robinson. They use Wandale Robinson in motion an inordinate amount because that's where he excels. And it allows Daniel Jones to dissect the defense because if you've got someone going alongside Robinson on the other side, if you've got the corner trailing him as he goes in motion, they're playing some semblance of man defense, right? If they're not, it's probably going to be zone. So you're making Daniel Jones's job a little bit easier. And oh, by the way, Daniel Jones, I believe, is top five in turnover-worthy plays, which when I say top five, I mean he's got the some of the lowest amounts of turnover-worthy plays in the NFL, which is a good thing. And considering where Daniel Jones has been in years past, that's a welcome sight, to say the least. But Wondell Robinson is a guy that excels in motion, You create mismatches for him on the inside in the slot. You get him doing jet sweeps, right? He's the kind of guy that's going to excel with that usage. We've seen that now for the first two weeks he's come back from that knee injury. He's been one of their best skill position players outside of Saquon Barkley recently. And I think he's a perfect example of why Brian Dable is the coach of the year in the NFL so far. Because when you look at the talent of this team in totality, I don't really think it's a debate. They're not as talented as some teams that are actually behind them in the power rankings. I think we can all agree, in totality, the Raiders are probably a more talented team than the Giants. The Chargers are probably a more talented team on paper than the Giants. But they don't have Brian Dable. Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas is fine. Brandon Staley I had big hopes for last year. And we're not looking so good there. But Brian Dable, it it really does show the impact of good coaching. So Brian Dable, coach of the year. 
The Giants are are more talented than I thought they were, but they are still talent deficient when you compare them side by side to the other top teams in football. And Vegas has confirmed that for me because this is now the second week in a row where I look at the matchup and I I have to do a double take when I see the lines that Vegas puts out there because for as good as the Seahawks have been this year, the Giants are three-point underdogs. They are three-point underdogs against the Seahawks. Listen, the Seahawks have been very good this year. They went in and manhandled the Chargers, who got just a bevy of injuries last week. J.C. Jackson, Mike Williams. They lost their left tackle earlier this year. I mean, they have been absolutely ravaged by injuries, and I, I don't want to glance over that. But they still took care of business against a team that, if you had asked me before the season... Who would win a match between the Chargers and Seahawks? I would say the Chargers 11 times out of 10. So I understand the Seahawks are playing very well. But they're going up against the 6-1 Giants, and yet they're still favorites. So that, to me, signifies that for as good of a job as Brian Dable has done, there's still skepticism amongst very smart people in Vegas that the Giants are legitimate. Listen, six wins is six wins this early on in the season. I'm not discrediting them, but I don't think they're a team that is going to compete seriously for the playoffs this year. I know Giants fans don't want to hear that, but they have gotten very fortunate with game scripts and with clutch plays that frankly are not, how do I say this? There's a lot of plays each week that are either things that are sustainable long-term or things that are not. The Giants fall into the category of plays that simply are not. They've had a lot of very long runs from Saquon Barkley that you think can probably carry over. Daniel Jones being all of a sudden one of the most safe quarterbacks in football, not turning it over. I want to see a full season of that. All right, if we get two or three more weeks of Daniel Jones not turning the ball over, I'm going to feel a lot more confident about this team. I really am. I'm not quite there yet. Similar to how I'm not quite there with the Jets. I'm not saying you can't be excited about the Jets or Giants. I'm just trying to temper expectations because they've been set to a point that I think is a little unfair to both teams given their talent and their construction. And Vegas has confirmed that by pointing out that the Giants are three-point underdogs on most of the betting sites to the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the Jets will talk a little bit more uh, on later after we talk with RJ, but, man, what a brutal loss Brees Hall is to the Jets. It, it's It's... A loss that's, you see him break that 60-yard run on Sunday, and you can't help but be so excited because that's three weeks in a row now where he's done something really special. And then he tears his ACL, and 
So we'll talk about the Jets a little bit later. They did make a trade to hopefully alleviate some of that loss in Brees Hall. But again, it's still Brees Hall. It's going to be tough to replace that production. We'll talk a little bit more about the Jets, what they did to replace or at least try to replace that production in an upcoming segment. But you are listening to Sports Tonight with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. Be sure to call in 516-876-4964. On the next segment, we're going to talk to my friend RJ Anderson from CBS Sports. We're going to talk some Yankees. We're going to talk some Astros and Phillies. We're going to talk some offseason baseball. All that and more here on Sports Tonight with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. Like I always say, be sure to visit OWWR on Facebook, OWWR NY on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. As I always say, there's just so much good content that my colleagues at OWWR are putting out, and I'd be remiss not to bring them up because really they deserve a lot of credit for the stuff that they're putting out. I'm listening to some of it, and it's it's wild. I mean, there's some things that I'm not even interested in normally that I'm suddenly interested in because I'm hearing some of the music that maybe I don't listen to. And I listen to some of the talk shows that go on. And I'm very intrigued. I really am. I'm very interested in virtually everything that OWWR is putting out there. So do yourself a favor. You will not regret it. But keep OWWR and the TuneIn app 
all throughout the week and listen to all the great content that we have to give. And speaking of great content, I've got a good friend of mine that I've mentioned is going to be coming on to the show today. That person is RJ Anderson from CBS Sports. And we're welcoming in RJ on to the line now. But RJ, it's funny. I, I gave everyone the overview on who you are and what you do. So the expectations are very high. Do you think you'll be able to live up to them? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Well, it's good to hear you again, RJ. I know it's been a while since since we talked uh, on the phone or, or anything like that, but it's great to have you on from from CBS Sports. And I know that we're in busy season, right? Because we're we're going to the World Series. There's a lot of content to be putting out there, and on top of that, we've got a bunch of postseason, con- uh, off season content coming out there as well. So I'm sure you're quite busy these days. Yeah, it's a weird uh, period where you have the postseason content, you have your early off content with free agent rankings and you have longer term content that you're working on for the off season, you know, trade stuff or uh, longer reported pieces, prospect stuff. So yeah, it's really a, a hectic time, but at the same at the same time it's pretty fun, you know, playing high stakes baseball and get to think a lot about the game in different ways. So I always appreciate that. If I had told you that high stakes baseball and the Phillies would be in the same sentence this time uh, I don't know. In January, if I'd said that in January, your response would be what? Well, I would have said they had gotten busy after the lockout ended. And, you know, I would have thought they were really upgraded the roster in a significant way. And I suppose they did. You know, they had Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos and uh, some of our additions. And we also made some moves at the deadline. I mean, it wasn't inconceivable that a team with, you know, Romito and Harper and, you know, some of these other players, younger players coming up would be competitive. It was just a matter of could they around them with a good enough supporting cast, and clearly they did. They did. And it's funny because I think in many ways they're the opposite of the Mets in the postseason in that the Mets were trying to get their main starters healthy for the postseason, whereas the Phillies were coming in all guns ready to shoot with Wheeler and Nola and apparently Ranger Suarez uh, you could throw in there. But um, let's just talk about the World Series for a, a second here, right? I think it's pretty obvious that Vegas has the Astros as the overwhelming favorites in this series. However, the two times that they've been in the World Series in the last handful of years, they've gone down, and that sure seems like they're going to be the heavy favorites in this series. Do you think the Phillies have a chance at all in this series. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, anything can happen in what amounts to a four to seven game series. And we see weird stuff happen all the time over those length of periods during the regular season. We've seen it happen this postseason. You never want to say there's not a chance. I think the Astros deserve to be the favorites, but really when you think about what does the favorite mean? You know, a lot of times it means you're a fifty five to forty five percent favorite. It doesn't mean you're, you know, seventy thirty or eighty twenty or anything absurd like that. So you gotta keep that in perspective. And also, you know, this series is going to be a contrast of strength. You know, the Astros love those rising low release point basketball. The Phillies are pretty good at hitting elevated basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Phillies like to pitch inside. The Astros are really good at hitting inside pitches. So we're gonna see which strengths prevail. And I wish I could sit here and tell you that I have a feel for which one will prevail. 
But honestly, you know, throughout this postseason, both of those teams have overcame other clubs whose strengths overlap with theirs. So it's going to be really fun. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who prevails, and hopefully we get seven good games out of it. RJ, I, you, you brought up other teams, and as a New York talk show, I, I have an obligation as much as I don't want to talk about it at this point because I feel like I've talked about it to nauseam, but the New York Yankees. What can, can you help us to understand what happened over the last week in Yankees land? Because it, it feels like such an unceremonious way to go out. But yeah. can you at least begin to help us understand what happened over the last week? Yeah, I mean, they ran into a buzz call. Uh, <laughs> Houston pitching staff is just incredible. I think they had like five innings thrown by someone who had an ERA over four or something absurd like that. Mm-hmm. And they really they follow that game plan I just talked about where all their fastballs come from a lower slot and they have rising action that makes it really hard for – uh, you know, a, a group of hitters to hit, and this what happens that they match up really well with the Yankees. You know, we saw Christian Javier and his rise ball. Well, that was the third time this year he shoved against the Yankees. So yeah. at some point, you say, okay, stylistically, this just isn't a match. But also, I think you've got to look at the rosters, and for as good as the Yankees were during the regular season, I think it's fair to say they were compromised in the bullpen of injuries. I think it's fair to say that their lineup was far more shallow than they anticipated. You know, Josh Donaldson was bad. I mean, it at least wasn't his normal self or his old self, and I think it's fair to say he's probably not getting back to that level again, given his age. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kiner Kalefa, not a good hitter. And, and, not, a good not, hitter. and not a good shortstop. Just not, not a good shortstop, period. Right, right. I mean, look, he works hard. I've always heard good things about him as a human being and as a, a worker, but unfortunately, that doesn't seem like it's going to work out. And then, you know, uh, if you have one or two slumps going on, you know, Judge not being his usual red-hot self or dunk, but if you have one or two slumps, I mean, all of a sudden, that's a really shallow lineup, and they were exposed against the Astros. They were. They absolutely were. And I, I, I said last week on the show, I thought the Astros were the favorites. I didn't think it would go down in such flames for the Yankees, though, and I think that's the most disconcerting part about all of this. So that brings me to my point about the offseason, which I've already talked about on the show today. And, you know, I brought up the idea before we heard the, the Boone news that they should fire Boone but retain Cashman. And my, my thought process there was for as flawed as this team was, you could make the case that Cashman began to, I don't want to say admit he was wrong in the past, but I think he had a philosophical adjustment where suddenly he's valuing speed and defense and versatility to an extent that we had not seen on previous Yankees rosters. So do you feel as if Brian Cashman is the right man for the Yankees role moving forward, or do you have a different thought process there? Well, I think he usually does good work, and I think the track record spells that out. You know, I do think there is a concern when you have the kind of continuity that the Yankees have had. And to be fair, this came up in Texas and this came up in Kansas City when they fired their longtime executives over the summer and into the fall. When you have that kind of continuity, you run the risk of becoming hive mind and kind of becoming blind to what you don't know and what you don't have. And I wonder if having a fresh set of eyes from the outside, the organization, would help them. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. You know, I'm not privy to their board room meetings. I don't know exactly what they're looking at or what have you. I do know they have hired a plethora of college coaches over the last five years. And, you know, based on how quickly they've moved through the, moved through the organization and based on their reputations and whatnot, it seems like that's really been productive for them on a player development front. But, you know, is that same thing happening in the front office? Maybe not. Maybe it would benefit them to go plus someone from another front office that's well-regarded and, you know, and serve him as the general manager or serve her as the general manager, whoever it is, and, you know, see what exactly they bring to the table to make contrast with what they were already hearing and saying. Because, again, a lot of their decision-makers have been there for a while, and I think they're good at their job. But it never hurts to have, you know, a differing point of view when you've worked with the same group of people for so long. Yeah, and, you know, to that point, it feels like the Yankees have lost to the Astros in nearly identical fashion from 2017 to 2019 and now to 2022. So the the people that are saying that Cashman should go are, are going to use that, and I, I don't hate that thought process, but like I mentioned, I personally would keep Cashman. That is kind of the way I'm thinking about this. But moving on to other Yankees topics, we know Aaron Judge is a free agent. We don't need to discuss that. What do you think is the biggest need for the team outside of trying to re-sign Judge? That's a good question. I guess I would say the left side of the infield, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Donaldson, I mean, he's, I don't know. I don't think he's going to produce much more to that next year. They may actually slide further. And then at shortstop, in theory, you have some prospects that can come up and slot in. But it does concern me that they didn't seem to think either of those guys were upgrades over kind of collective this season. I mean, you look across the field at Houston, and they had a rookie shortstop in Jeremy Pena, who had far less seasoning in the minor leagues because of the injury and because of the pandemic, and he fared just fine. You look around the rest of the league, and it seems like young players are getting shots elsewhere. So why wouldn't the Yankees give either of those guys the opportunity? I really don't yeah. know. Um, it's an interesting philosophical question. It makes you wonder if maybe the public perception of those two is a little higher <laughs> than what they have internally. But I would say those areas... Uh, obviously, retaining judges number one, like you said, and then you know they're probably going to need to go out there and get at least one starting pitcher, maybe two, depending on what exactly happens with like trying to retain Jameson Tyone, and um, you know we'll see what happens with Frankie Montas' shoulder as well. Yeah, a- absolutely, and and Montas is a guy I think a lot of people forget about, but when he's healthy, you're talking about a guy that can very comfortably slot into a team's number two starting position, and you wouldn't skip a beat. But I, I flew out, I threw out a bunch of different ideas for the offseason. I, I want to get your take on some of those things. You can tell me I'm crazy because I think we're, we're close enough where I can respect that opinion because I know it's going to come with logic on your side. But um, my, my offseason is broken down to like six different points, so bear with me, all right? So re-signing Judge, obviously, but also re-sign Benatendi, and re-sign Carpenter if it's like a million or a million and a half dollars, something like that, right? But then yeah. also sign Carlos Correa. The thought process being that he's giving you elite production offensively and defensively. Um, and, and so you're, you're getting another well-rounded player on top of Judge. You're putting him at shortstop. Then you flip Glaber and prospects for Pablo Lopez, which to me does not seem unrealistic because it, from what 
we, from what you were gathering, what I was gathering, that seemed like a distinct possibility at the deadline. It just did not materialize. Um, and then the last thing I would do is try to try to move Donaldson's last guaranteed year of money to a team that desperately needs a third baseman, has some money to spend, and, and might be willing to take on the contract for a prospect or so, right? And any right. money that you can move from Donaldson, you can put towards a contract for Ro- Carlos Rodon. And after just doing some brief math, right, signing Correa, re-signing Judge, and signing Rodon, you're looking at a payroll that could be in about the $275 million payroll range, which is a lot of money, but given what the Dodgers and Mets have spent, I don't think it's out of the question. So my question to you is, is that a realistic offseason that Yankees fans can hope for and expect? Uh, I would say it's not going to happen. But <laughs> in terms of should it happen, I mean, if you look at the Yankees' revenues, yeah, they line up with like the Dodgers and the Mets. And in theory, they should be spending a lot more on payroll than they actually are. So you can question why they're not doing that. I would say, you know, your plan is basically acquire good players. <laughs> I think yeah. that's a pretty good plan when you're trying to, you know, take the next step as a team. Realistically, though, do I see them keeping Judge, signing Correa, signing Rodon? No. And, you know, you talk about moving Josh Donaldson and trying to save some money there, and I certainly get that idea. But at the same time, if I'm, I don't know, whatever contender you want to slot in here, I'd probably just take my chances signing Jake Peterson or whatever for a couple million. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why do I want to bring in a guy who uh, he seems, let's say, unlikable <laughs> or at least combustible in a sense? And, I just don't think that there's a lot of upside left in his game. I could be wrong about that. Maybe he comes out next year and turns back the hands of time. But I just see that as an underwater deal at this point. So, I don't know. Like I said, you are talking about adding good players. That's always a good idea. I just don't know how realistic it is given what they've done in the past and how they don't seem willing to fish in the deep waters anymore financially. And, and kind of going back into their track record, which is not as desirable as I think Yankees fans would, would hope for, are you surprised that Aaron Boone seems to be on his way back to the Yankees dugout next year? Uh, not really, because they signed him to a three-year extension last year, and usually teams do that. Uh, usually teams who do that don't fire their manager a year later. And like you know, you can you can correctly say that this season was a success in many respects for the Yankees. You know, on paper they were a good team. You know, you can argue they even overperformed a little bit. I don't know that. Most of us had the Yankees winning the division. We yeah. certainly didn't have them flirting with, you know, 116 wins through the summer. So, obviously, they didn't finish quite as hot. But in some respects, you know, you can sell it as a success. Now, does that meet Yankee fans' expectations? Does it meet the expectations that should be placed upon a team with this kind of revenue stream? Probably not. But it is what it is. And to be clear, I think Boone justifiably could have been fired. He did a lot of weird stuff in the postseason. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. How he handles the clubhouse, maybe he's really good there, and that's just beyond my knowledge now. But well, when when you when you play the 2004 Red Sox ALCS comeback <laughs> uh, as your motivational speech after Game Three, I, I have questions. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was a heck of a headline. <laughs> Wild, and then using David Ortiz to come in and, and like support the video. Uh, it, it's just, it's wild to me. Uh, that's, I'll just leave it at that. But if it had worked, it would have been genius. Yeah, I, I guess. 
Um, two more questions for you, and I'll let you get out of here. But uh, you can give me a one-word answer. You can give me a whole soliloquy on this. Aaron Judge is signing where? Well, the rumor in the industry the past month or so has been San Francisco. And I know that's out there now. I don't think I'm saying anything new in that respect. Are they actually going to end up with them? Let me put it this way. Uh, this time last year, I was hearing that Correa to the Yankees was a done deal, or going to be a done deal, I should say. And so, you know, you kind of have to take these things with a grain of salt. Until he actually signs elsewhere, or until the Yankees go out there and acquire, you know, gosh, whoever whoever the Josh Donaldson version is of the right fielder at this point, I'm going to say they're still on the inside track. But the Giants are supposedly a hot name. Uh, you know, you know, Brandon Nimmo actually has a lot of Yankees replacement for Judge vibes. So, yeah, I, I, I can see that happening, unfortunately. And, you know, listen, I, I don't like hearing that answer, but that's also why we have you on, because I know that you're one of the most clued in people in baseball. So if you're saying it, then there's a good chance that a lot of people, a lot of very informed people around the industry think that as well. Last question for you. Who is winning the World Series and in how many games? Yeah, I think I said the Astros in seven just because it gives me really good plausible deniability. You know, let's never go wrong picking the better team and the maximum amount of games. And if the Phillies were to win, that'd be really cool. You know, I think that'd be a great story. So I feel like either way, we're going to have a cool story. Either Dusty Baker gets his ring and perhaps retires, or someone like Bryce Harper, who really deserves a ring, I think, gets his ring and maybe gets a signature moment in the World Series, and I think that's great. So uh, hopefully it's just a fun, entertaining series, a competitive series, and people can end the season on a high note. Because remember, you know, it wasn't that long ago we weren't sure we were going to have a season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, hopefully the Astros don't go 11-0 in, in the postseason. <laughs> um, so we can all hope for that. We can hope for a competitive series. And I think most people – Despite acknowledging that the Astros are probably the more talented team on paper, I, I think a large majority of the country is rooting for the Phillies, myself included personally. But, um, RJ, listen, it's it's been a lot of fun having you on as always. It's always a great, great chat with you. Uh, best of luck with the rest of your postseason and, and future offseason coverage. And before you hop on out of here, why don't you tell people how they can connect with you on social media? Get that part. They should just go to cbssports.com slash MLB. Uh, I can't say enough good things about my coworkers, Jane Perry, Mike Keyser, Matt Snyder, all excellent what they do, all workhorses, and we all bring something different to the table. So if you're a baseball fan at all, I think you'll find something worth reading there. CBS Sports. You guys know the name, and he works for them. RJ, thank you so much for hopping on, buddy. Uh, we'll hopefully talk to you soon. Yep, thank you for having me. Thanks, RJ. Yeah, RJ is just simply one of the He's just one of the most chill people in the history that I know. Uh, I love talking to him. I feel like I'm always learning something whenever I talk to him. So, And he's a team player, right? He showed. He's a true team player. He said, don't bother following me on Twitter, even though you should. And while while I'm saying that, I'll look up his Twitter account for you guys. But he, he said, don't bother following me. Just go listen to CBS Sports. That is a team player. And and speaking of really good, uh, <laughs> speaking of really good radio here, I'll find his social media and I'll 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 put it in uh, the show at some point. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more Jets. I know that I promised that. We also got some Knicks and Nets talk. What? Yeah, that's right. We're three games into the season already, which is hard to believe. 
This is Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. here on the east coast it's still 63 degrees we are still in the 60 degree weather at eight almost 8 30 at night which is wholly impressive but i promise you guys some nfl talk uh more specifically the um the jets but you know we've also got a lot of other talking points in the nfl as well so we'll talk about the jets but if you guys have any questions about the NFL in totality, let's talk about it. 516-876-4964, right? We had a lot of things happen. Matt Ryan loses his starting job. We have no idea who the starter is in New England. Is it Bailey Zappi? Is it Mac Jones? Looks like we've actually got a caller here calling into the show, so let's bring them in. Hello, you are on Sports Night with Smith. Who is calling in? Hey, this is uh, Eric from New Jersey. Eric from New Jersey. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Doing good, Eric. What's on your mind? Yeah, I just wanted to bring up the topic of uh, the Zap in New England and the, the quarterback controversy that seems to be uh, ensuing here. Uh-oh. Uh, lots, of, lots of talk from, you know, our, our friends in, in the football chat about how the Zap should be the starter. So I wanted to get your insights on it. Uh, well, let me let me ask you this. I'll, I'll throw I'll answer the question by throwing a question back at you. Besides the first drive where he threw that touchdown, what did Bailey Zappi do that much different from Mac Jones? Not much. Okay. And when was Bailey Zappi drafted in in last year's draft? You remember what round? I, I believe it was uh, the fourth. The fourth round. I think it was. Uh, I think it was the fifth, the fifth round is what. And, and could you just remind me where Mac Jones was drafted the year before that, Eric? Yeah, he, 
he he was a first round pick. Okay. So listen, Mac Jones had a high ankle sprain that is not easy to come back from. High ankle sprains are it's one of those injuries where when the coach says he's day to day, it means he's week to week. When he when they say he's week to week, he's really month to month, and when he's month to month, he's out for the year. It's one of those kind of weird injuries that's very slow to recover from, like a calf injury. So I personally think Mac Jones is the starter long term, and they're just trying to make it work with Mac Jones until he's healthy again. Does that make sense? I believe so. Yeah. So if you're out there in fantasy land and you're debating with yourself, should I pick up Bailey Zappi? I'll tell you this. I'll answer this way. It's not Zappy Hour. Zappy Hour was probably a 10-minute spiel during Monday Night Football in primetime. That's all it was. So, Eric from New Jersey, I think there's your answer right there. You know, I appreciate it, Smith. No, thank you, Eric from New Jersey. We'll talk soon. Yeah, I mean, listen, um... If, if people in New England really think that there's a quarterback debate, I think you're playing yourself. Right? I, I laid out the case. Mac Jones Mac Jones could look really bad this year. And, and guess what? It's still his second year in the NFL, and it's his first year in this new system that's run by offensive coordinator Matt Patricia, which is a whole different discussion. But... Yeah. Is that a debate? I mean, I, I guess the debate because Eric from New Jersey is calling in about it. So I, I suppose it's a question, but that's not a real question to me. Let's talk about the Jets for a little bit, though, because I, I know I've been promising to talk about the Jets for a while now. But they are 5-2. and two. They are a game behind the Giants in the overall standings, I guess, in the NFL. They beat the Russell Wilson-less Let's Ride Broncos, right? But, again, kind of like the Giants, it's not like they're winning these games of theirs in all that convincing of fashion. And that's going to be unpopular to a lot of people. I understand that. But look at who they were going up against. They are going up against Ripon, the... Broncos backup quarterback who looks like complete dust. They have no real running game in Denver. They can't seem to figure out which running back they want to give 60% of the touches to. Is it Latavius Murray? Is it Melvin Gordon? Before he got injured, was it Mike Boone? They have no idea what they want to do. The left hand does not know what the right hand's doing. Nathaniel Hackett, as I talked about last week with Tyler Oringer from Underdog Fantasy, I like to call Nathaniel Hackett Nathaniel Hackett the hack. That's what he is. He's Hackett the hack. So, I don't want to discredit what the Jets did, though. I mean, the defense still looked very, very good, as it has all throughout the last three or four weeks or so. Right? The Quinnen Williams and Sauce Gardner one-two punch is as lethal a one-two punch on defense as the Jets have had in a very long time. Sauce Gardner shutting down both Cortland Sutton, who 
in my opinion, is one of the most underrated wide receivers in football. And Jerry Judy, who I think is one of the most overrated wide receivers in football. But they're both better, better than average. I think Cortland Sun's definitely tier above Judy, but he shut them both down. Completely shut them down. Cortland Sun had nine targets and only caught 33% of his targets. That's really impressive rate for Sauce Gardner. So that needs to be applauded. The defense is really doing an excellent job this year. So round of applause to them. We're still waiting for Zach Wilson to really have to throw the ball, though. And that's why this kind of feels a little disingenuous, this record for the Jets. Probably more so than the Giants. Because at least Daniel Jones has had to lead the team to comebacks throughout the past few weeks. The Jets have comfortably led in most of the games recently. And thus, Zach Wilson's averaging like, what, 23 and a half pass attempts per game, which is nothing in today's game. So until I see Zach Wilson lead another drive down the field in the fourth quarter like he did with the Steelers, which was impressive, but again, it's one game. So I need to see more from Zach Wilson before I'm ready to put my stamp of approval on the Jets. We'll talk a little bit more about some other Jets news at the other side of this commercial break. We'll come right back. We'll finish up our Jets talk. If you want to call in, 516-876-4964 is the number to call. We'll come right back. We'll finish up our Jets, and then we'll talk some NBA. We'll focus on the Knicks and the Nets right after this on Sports Tonight with Smith on OWR Web Radio. Is, is that the is that the right word here? Autopsy. I think it is an autopsy for the New York Yankees. We've talked a little bit of World Series with R.J. Anderson and, and some of the things that he would do if he were the Yankees and what he expects them to do, which is not anywhere close to what I would want. 
Well, that's why we have him on. We, we, we asked him to give us the cold, hard facts from what he's heard, and he absolutely delivered there. So thank you to R.J. Anderson from CBS Sports. But we also talked a little bit of Giants before that, and we talked some Jets. I didn't give a full segment to the Jets because I had a very interesting call from Eric from New Jersey about the apparent Patriots quarterback dilemma, which I don't think it's a dilemma, by the way. But I do want to finish up some of my talking points on the Jets. Earlier in the show, I talked about Brees Hall and the fact that he was out for the year with a torn ACL, which is just an absolute buzzkill for my fantasy teams, especially my dynasty teams. I had Brees Hall and... He was projecting, he was trending in the RB1 direction in Dynasty, as we talked about with Tyler Oranger last week, but yeah, probably not the case anymore. But in the midst of all that sadness and sorrow for Brees Hall comes a new hope, if you will, in the form of a trade. That's right, the Jets made a trade for a running back. Which, I gotta be honest, I did not see that happening. But, General Manager Joe Douglas showing that this year means a lot to this team. And he goes out and gets James Robinson, who is consensus probably the, eh, I won't say the, one of the best undrafted free agent running backs in the history of the NFL. Gets him from the Jaguars. Robinson put up a massive campaign in 2020. Came out of nowhere to do that, by the way. 2021, we think he's going to lose his starting job to first-round pick Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne has a Liz Frank injury, thus out for the year. And it was James Robinson through and through for 2021. Not as good of a year as 2020, but still was good enough. Only he tore his Achilles, I think it was week 16 last year. And there was real concern, similar to Cam Akers, that it could be a career-altering injury. But just like Cam Akers, Robinson beat the odds and came back for training camp, looked good, and was actually the Jaguar starter, even though Travis Etienne had come back from his list rank injury to be fully healthy. It was the James Robinson show for the first four weeks of the regular season. And then it tailed off a little bit. Travis Etienne, who was in essentially his rookie year, started to get more comfortable in the offense, started to gain the trust of the coaches and pass protection, which is a big thing in Doug Peterson's offense. And all of a sudden, he was on the field a lot more than James Robinson. Now, James Robinson was still quite productive in his first four weeks of regular season. I am a little worried, though. His efficiency dropped off precipitously in the last few games and barely played. I think he actually played like one or two snaps on Sunday. Now, I think some of that might have been that the Jets and Jaguars were discussing Robinson and the Jaguars didn't want to risk getting Robinson injured. So maybe that's part of it. And I'm not going to say it's not a possibility, but I don't know that for sure. But the Jets went out and got a guy that has served as a bell cow in years past. And it's difficult to glance over that, right? It's it's a big deal because I think for as good as Michael Carter is, he's not really a bell cow type guy. He doesn't have the stature or the, the BMI to absorb that full-time role. 
So having a Robinson-Carter duo, which I think will actually shake out very similar to how Brees Hall and, and Michael Carter shaked out. I think it's a very sound move for the Jets, especially considering that it's just a sixth-round pick that becomes a fifth-round pick if Robinson reaches 600 rushing yards in the year, which more than likely seems like it's going to happen. But even so, I mean, you're talking about a fifth-round pick. You're not talking about a fourth-round pick or a third-round pick, heck, even a second-round pick. I mean, if, if you look at what Christian McCaffrey went for, who has his own fair share of injury risk, similar to James Robinson, when you look at what the 49ers gave up for Christian McCaffrey when they traded from last week compared to what the, the Jets gave up for James Robinson, it, it's not even close. Like, sure, Christian McCaffrey might be a better player than James Robinson, but James Robinson's been a very good player in the NFL. He was just phased out of the offense because he's got a, a phenomenal prospect in Travis Etienne sharing the backfield. Travis Etienne was one of the most impressive college prospects in the last three or four years. Not quite at the level of a Brees Hall or Saquon Barkley, but probably in the next tier below that. Nick Chubb was considered like a tier two running back when he came out of the draft. Travis Etienne is, is in that zone. And the, and the fact he's got first-round draft capital just makes it all the more appealing. So it's not an indictment on James Robinson that he lost his role. It's, it's more of a compliment to Travis Etienne. But James Robinson's very good, and you're getting for a fraction of what the 49ers gave up for Christian McCaffrey, which, by the way, if I was running a team, I would never make that kind of trade for a running back. I mean, think of all the draft capital that the 49ers gave up. I think it was like a second, third, and fifth round pick or something absurd like that for a running back. I would never do that. I would do a lot more of what the Jets did with James Robinson. I think that's a very sound process for the Jets. So the fact they're 5-2, and two, they really haven't had to rely on Zach Wilson to throw the ball, but they still will have a running game thanks to James Robinson. Now, I'm a little concerned, though, about the offensive line for the Jets. They are on by this week, so we don't have to talk about matchups for them. But I'm concerned about them long-term on the offensive line. Elijah Vera Tucker, I think this is an underrated injury. He's out for the year with a triceps injury. I think he tore his triceps, which I cannot even imagine what excruciating pain that feels like. So I do not... Envy, Elijah Vera Tucker right now in that injury. It's a brutal injury. And he was really playing well for the Jets. So it's, it's going to be a pretty big loss for the Jets all considered, all things considered there. So I, I'm a little worried about the, the Jets' offensive line. But their defense has been very sound. Their running game has been strong. I think Zach Wilson has taken a step forward this year. And I know the numbers don't speak out to the fact that he's playing phenomenal, but I think he's absolutely playing better than last year. And with the talent around him, I think that's all you need. I really do. I, I think that's all you need. 516-876-4964 is the number to call here for OWWR Web Radio. 
You are listening to Sports Tonight with Smith. We'll talk a little bit about the World Series now before we get into the Knicks and the Nets in our final segment. Because I know we talked about the Yankees and we talked a little bit about the World Series with R.J. Anderson, but we really didn't touch on the, the World Series just and so my thoughts to add on to what RJ said, but you know, I mentioned when I spoke with RJ though that the Astros are considered the heavy favorites, perhaps the heaviest favorites in recent World Series memory. But when they were the favorites against the Nationals and against the Braves, they lost both those series. The only time they won the World Series is when they were underdogs against the Dodgers in twenty seventeen. So that's one thing to keep in mind. I mean, that's not why I'm going to go with the Phillies, but it's just something to stash away and think about, right? But listen, the Phillies are a better version of the Yankees right now. They've got a little bit of a deeper lineup with star power at the top. Bryce Harper is essentially the Aaron Judge of this lineup, which I think you can match both those players up one for one. The lineup's a little bit deeper with Real Muto at catcher, Nick Castellanos, who I know hasn't been very good, but absolutely is capable of tearing the cover off the ball for a series. That's absolutely in his range of outcomes. Kyle Schwarber at the top of the lineup I think is is really good. Brandon Marsh, as we've seen, can contribute at times. Bryson Stott has had his moments. Gene Segura has had his moments. Reese Hoskins has been red hot recently i mean you're talking about a team that's got a much deeper lineup than the yankees and i don't think people are really considering that so i'm i'm with everyone on the astros being the favorite but i think it's going to be a lot closer than people think the only scenario where i can see this being a bloodbath for the in favor of the astros is if the astros get into the phillies bullpen Right, if, if they're able to get Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler and Ranger Suarez out before the sixth inning, the Phillies are in trouble because that bullpen is, what's the word? Fun is the word, but they're not good, right? There's a difference between being fun and being good. The, the Phillies fall on the fun side of that. <laughs> so that's one thing to bear in mind there. But, I mean, am I often thinking that this just feels like a Bryce Harper heroic World Series waiting to happen? I mean, that, that's the one thing that I keep going to, and, and there's no real stat I can use to support that. I mean, all you have to do is go back to the, the home run that he hit in Game 5 in the eighth inning against the Padres, and that'll tell you everything I need, you need to know about why I think Bryce Harper could be that guy this World Series. So the Phillies have the star power to make this happen. They're not as deep as the Astros, but I think they're deeper than the Yankees, where if their stars are able to ball out, they have just enough beyond that to make this work. It feels awfully similar to the Braves from last year, doesn't it? A lot of handful of really good players but you just got a bunch of baseball players beyond those stars they've got a lot of similar vibes 
am, am I talking myself into the Phillies here? Oh, my God. I did not think that would be happening. It might just be happening. We might just be a Phillies fan for the next no, I, I mean, I'm going to be rooting for the Phillies, but I actually think they, ha- they have a chance in this series. I'm still going to go with the Astros because it's the Astros. They have an incredible pitching staff, as we saw, unfortunately, at the hands of the Yankees. But there's absolutely a scenario where the Phillies win this. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility like I think some people think it is. That's not true. Not true. 516-876-4964 is the number to call. We've got about 15 more minutes here on the program for tonight. So if you've got any more questions, NBA, which we'll talk about in the next segment, and there'll be NFL, heck, even the NHL, give us a call, 516-876-4964. You're listening to Sports Tonight with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. <laughs> several million at this point. One of my favorites, 516-876-4964. And apologies in advance for the commercials not working to all the people that have the commercials in our in our bank. The technology is not exactly cooperating today. I will have to talk to our producers. It is unfortunate. I get that. And I also am reliably informed that the TuneIn app has been a little spotty today in terms of receiving all of the words that I'm 
spewing out to you guys. It's a little inconsistent in the feed. So that's on our end. That's apologies. I don't know exactly what's going on. Um, but it, it does seem like uh, we'll have to, to look into that. Definitely bring it up to, to Mr. Man Freddy. That is a given. One of the greatest mentors out there, I think, Mr. Man Freddy, uh, taught me so much about the radio process just in terms of preparation. I mean, you guys would be amazed at some of the preparation that goes into a, a show like this, but there is a lot, and he's been very, very helpful in, in getting me set up for success here. So if you're listening, Mr. Man Freddy, thank you, but also we do have some issues here, <laughs> some technical difficulties. 516-876-4964 is the number to call for the last, oh, let's call it 9, 10 minutes of the program today. But in the event that you guys don't want to call in and are shy, because I know some of you are shy, even though you shouldn't be, because I will take anyone's phone call. I'm serious. I will take anyone's phone call. But if you're shy, we will talk about the Nets and the Knicks because both teams have played three games. I think the Nets are playing tonight against the Bucks, which we can double-check on that one. But Nets were one and two. And they're actually, yes, they are playing against the Bucks tonight. They're leading 55 to 43 at half. So that's good, right? That's a good thing. But they're one and two. Yeah, not good. And there's a lot of expectation for the Nets. Despite Kevin Durant's aspirations to go elsewhere and requesting to be traded or to have Steve Nash fired, Kevin Durant and Steve Nash are both Nets. Right? Is, is that the? It, they're both nets. They're nets. I, 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 I got to think about how to phrase that. Are they nets? Or are they netses? I guess they're members. They're members of the nets franchise. There you go. They're members of the nets franchise still. And Kevin Durant has not been the reason they're just one and two. It's not even really Kyrie Irving. We need to have a conversation about Ben Simmons, though. Listen, I know he did not play at all last year, but including the preseason and the regular season, we're looking at a player that is a shell of himself, and it's not even close. He's fouled out in two of three games. He's averaging like 5.8 points per game, and he's shooting 43% from the free throw line. 43%. Now listen, I know that there's been a lot of conversations out there about Ben Simmons' shot being just cooked. Right? His mechanics on his shot are well documented to be very shoddy, but it has reached a new low so far this year. And look, it's three games. I get it. But he's looked absolutely terrible in those three games to a point where it does not look like something that's going to be easily adjusted and fixed in the next two or three games. No, 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 no. We're looking at someone that looks lost out there on the court. And this was supposed to be the number three option on this team. Sorry. I I, I don't see it. I I don't see it. So I'm very concerned about the Nets. And it seems like the fans are too. 
I was looking at an article earlier today. The Nets per Real GM, which is a very reliable basketball website, the Nets ranked dead last in season ticket sales in the NBA. Now, Brooklyn is the fourth largest metropolis in the country. Not many people know that, but it is. On its own, separate from Manhattan, would be the fourth largest metropolis. That's how big Brooklyn is. That's a major problem. You've got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You've got a team that's got championship aspirations and they're dead last in ticket sales. Woof. Right, so I'm a little, I'm concerned about the Nets, at least somewhat. Losing to the Grizzlies like they did is not cause for concern because the Grizzlies look really good. John Morant, 12 for 20 from three-point land, on top of everything he already does, is scary. 12 for 20 from three-point range so far this year for John Morant. So losing to the Grizzlies is not a problem, but in totality, they have looked very inconsistent, and they are very top-heavy, kind of like the Yankees of the NBA. Kevin Durant, Aaron Judge, Kyrie Irving, Garrett Cole. It's actually kind of scary, that comparison of how accurate it is. Let's talk a little bit about the Knicks, though, because they are 2-1. and one. And I know they have not played the same level of competition as the Nets have, but, man, they look a lot different from last year. They actually are exciting to watch on offense. And Jalen Brunson who was their free agent signing from the Mavericks, is a huge reason why. The past two years, the Knicks have been 29th and 30th in team assists per game. Right, That's abysmal. They now rank top 10 in the early showing this year. And they're well above average in potential assists per game, which is passes that were to wide-open people, that shot the ball that could have been scored but wasn't. So even on a potential assist per game basis, they are far improved in that regard than in previous years. Jalen Brunson is a huge reason why. Him at point guard, distributing the ball, getting the ball, moved around. And on top of that, Julius Randle, who I have criticized as an isolationist type of player, he looks completely revamped in that Yes, he's still a strong mid-range scorer. Yes, he can still score this back to the bucket. But he seems far more willing to observe what the defense is giving him at that point in time. And what I mean by that is if he's in the post and he sees that there's another guy that's on top of the defender that's already covering him, if he's got another defender that's creeping up on him, he's more than happy to pass that ball out to whoever. That's, that's a major, major development for the Knicks. And on top of being a, a sound defensive team, which we expect from Tom Thibodeau teams, if they're able to move the ball around and play this team style of basketball, hit the threes, play really good transition basketball, move the ball up and down the court very aggressively like they have been, it's going to be a recipe for success for this team. You have to remember, this team was very good as recent as 2021. It feels like a millennia ago, but it's not. And Julius Randle was at the forefront of that. 
And now they've got Jalen Brunson. They've got R.J. Barrett. And even Isaiah Hardenstein, who they signed from the Clippers in the offseason, looks like a really nice depth piece for this team. Looks like an excellent complementary center option to Mitchell Robinson, who, as we know, is more defensive, rebounding-oriented player. Hardenstein can go out there and, and give you some points out there on the court. He gives you a little bit more offensive versatility. So it seems as if the Knicks prioritized versatile players that distribute the ball. And it looks like Julius Randle has solved many of the problems that plagued him last year. Right? I think they got so reliant on Julius Randle in 2021 because he was their only true threat offensively. And when he wasn't as efficient last year, the team tanked. And I don't know what happened, but it, it sure seems like he had a taste of reality medicine, and he's back to the player that the Knicks need him to be. So I'm actually a little bit higher on the Knicks than I was or coming into the year, a little bit lower than I was on the Nets coming into the year. But I still think the Nets are going to be a little bit better, just a little bit better than the Knicks this year, but... It's at least a discussion now, whereas I don't think it was going into the season. Well, we are coming up on time here on Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. Again, a big thank you to RJ Anderson from CBS Sports for coming on. It was a pleasure speaking with him. Eric from New Jersey, thank you so much for calling in. And moving forward, guys, if you want to call in, 516-876-4964 is the number to call. Again, we're here every Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m., here on the TuneIn app, follow us on Facebook at OWWR, and on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at OWWRNY. We'll see you next week.